Well, today we come to Mark chapter 12. And uh, if you've read the chapter, and I hope you have already, and, and thought about it for yourself, Jesus here tells a parable calling out the, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, and other Jewish rulers, and uh, they perceived that he was calling them out, and we get a glimpse of their response, which is instructive to us. Uh, he condemns the pretentious actions of the religious leaders, uh, contradicting the teaching of the scribes, and he praises the humble faithfulness of a poor widow. So let's consider a couple of truths and uh, maybe some applications of what we find here. Uh, the first one that we've already hinted at is when you know you're being called out, when you know you're being called out. Jesus opens this chapter with yet another parable, the parable of the tenants. Uh, the subject of the parable is a man who planted a vineyard, according to verse 1. Now, as soon as the Jewish leaders heard this, and we've mentioned this before, their antenna would go up immediately because very, very regularly in the Old Testament, the Lord described Israel as his vineyard that he planted and cared for. See that in Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. So when Jesus begins a parable set in a vineyard, the leaders would have known he was referring to Israel. And so what happens in this parable of the vineyard? Well, several of the master's servants were sent into it, whom the workers of the vineyard violently mistreated. What's Jesus indicating by this? Well, he's referring to the various prophets whom the Lord raised up and, and sent to preach in Israel throughout its history. And many times these prophets were violently mistreated. You have a, a, an easy-to-find list of these in Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus takes this parable, though, a step further and says, The master of the vineyard decided to send his own son, whom the workers not only mistreated, but according to verses 6 through 8, they murdered him. When the Jewish leaders heard this part of the story, they would have understood two things. First, they would have understood that Jesus was claiming to be God's son. And second, they would have perceived that Jesus was saying their desire to kill him was in line with their godless forefathers who mistreated and killed the prophets. Now, I can only imagine how uncomfortable they were at this parable at this point. And Jesus doesn't stop there. In verses 10 and 11, he quotes Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, to show that he is the cornerstone that the builders rejected that's prophesied in that text and that they were going, if they were going to kill him, uh, they were going to be on the wrong side of history and, and God's redemptive plan. And then in verse 12, he tells us the obvious. There we read that they perceived that he had told the parable against him. Well, yeah, of course. How did they respond, though? Did they humble themselves and confess their sin? Not at all. They hardened themselves even further and decided to look for a way to arrest Jesus in verse 12. They decided to get rid of him. They hated him, and they were certainly not going to allow him to accuse them of wrongdoing and sin. Now, this story is ultimately about God's unfolding plan of salvation for all who believe. The leaders were hardened in their unbelief and were instrumental in sending Jesus to the cross, which in, in God's marvelous providence was the very means by which he achieved our redemption. But there is a much simpler application that we can take away from this parable and their response to it. And it has to do with how we respond when someone confronts us with our own sin or shortcoming. They knew they were being called out, and they responded by hardening their, hardening their hearts even further in pride and unrepentance. 
And how often do we act in just the same way? But let's just lay it out there. The book of Proverbs tells us flatly in uh, Proverbs 12, 1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> a mark of a humble heart is a teachable spirit. This, however, is a hard thing to do. I'd go even further and say it's an impossible thing to do apart from the Holy Spirit. The next time your sin or your shortcomings are made aware to you, recognize that it might be God's way of sanctifying you and making you more like him. Don't be puffed up with pride and become defensive. Or as the Proverbs say, don't be stupid. Instead, the, as the Proverbs also say, learn to love discipline. It is for our ultimate good. Second and finally, Jesus condemns the proud and he praises the humble. As the chapter proceeds, each of those groups that Jesus told his parable against, presumably the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees who made up the Jewish leaders of the day, um, they approach Jesus to question him. And the Pharisees come first, then the, scri uh, excuse me, the, then the Sadducees, and then the scribes, and each had their turn. Mark presents the Pharisees first and makes it clear that their intent in questioning Jesus was to, according to verse 13, to trap him in his talk. I believe that it's legitimate to assume that since Mark states up this up front about the Pharisees, it was also the intent of the Sadducees and the scribes who follow in the story. Their intent was to justify themselves and rescue their tarnished reputation after Jesus' scathing parable against them. The Pharisees come asking about whether or not to pay taxes to Caesar, verses 13 through 17. Uh, the Sadducees ask about marriage in the resurrection, verses 18 through 27, and then the scribes ask Jesus to identify the most important commandment in the Bible, verses 28 through 34. They weren't genuine uh, inquirers. They were malicious questioners. Notice how the Pharisees come to Jesus, as it says, with flattery. Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. My goodness. Beware of flattery. They, you know, we, we, we've said this recently at uh, CBS, that gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face, but flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind their back, and that's exactly what we have here. The, they didn't go around behind Jesus' back talking about uh, how he truly teaches the way of God, but they're saying that to his face. They had built their whole life and worth around what others thought about them, and, this, and, 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 and therefore they, they tried to destroy Jesus without appearing that way. So they came with flattering tongues that sought to destroy However righteous and self-justified they felt, Jesus said theirs would be, quote, the greater condemnation because they knew the right way to go and didn't do it. The Apostle Peter said about people like this in 2 Peter 2.21, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. We're accountable for what we know. This is all the more dangerous when we love ourselves and love the praise of men more than we love the Lord and desire his favor. 
Consider the contrast of these leaders with the poor widow in verses 44 through 41. She made no show of herself. She sought no praise for her actions. She simply went about offering to the Lord alone humble and sacrificial worship through her gifts. This is the model for us to follow. Love the Lord more than yourself and seek his praise rather than the praise of men. When you seek after and receive the praise of men, you'll probably get it and you'll receive your reward in full right then and there. And that's a raw deal. Love God today with all your heart and seek with all your heart to please him in everything you do. Enjoy his smile on your life, even if no one else does. And in the end, you'll be glad you did. And that is Mark chapter 12.